we had started a series last week called Uncomfortable. Daniel asked me this morning, what can I do this week to make you uncomfortable? I said, Daniel, you do it every week. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I love him. Now, now he's going to mess with me. So I'm just saying, I got to be careful with that. Um, but no, we started this series last week called Uncomfortable. It's adapted by, uh, from a book by uh, a guy named Brett McCracken. And we're talking about what it means to live in Christian community, true Christian community. And I asked you guys, the reason why we, we watched these episodes uh, that we watched last two weeks on this video were so um, perfect for this is because I asked you to consider what, what it would it look like, uh, what would your dream church look like? Like if you could just list off all of your preferences, everything you've ever wanted uh, in a church, the setting, the building, the theology, the ministries, the, what does Sunday look like, the worship, um, what would it look like? And in the end, the conclusion that we came to as we were kind of talking about this is, is there really any such thing as the dream church or the perfect church? And if there was, would it be perfect any longer the moment that you step foot in it? The answer to that question is No. It would not. Why? Because we bring ourselves into it. And, uh, and so we are all imperfect. We all have stuff. We all have some baggage and some things we're working through. And so if we were even to find that ultimate dream, the moment we walk into that place, it would change because we bring ourselves into that picture. Church was not meant to be about our preferences Church is meant to be about knowing God and being known by his people. And so in order for us to do that, we've got to reject the consumerist church hunting mindset. And we've got to lay our preferences down. We've got to embrace what's somewhat, dis, what, what's somewhat uncomfortable, the discomfort of, of moving outside of, uh, of the norm and die to our own desires, lay our lives down just like Jesus did. And so this morning we're going to focus on the sacrifice that the Christian life calls us to embrace and the Savior, Jesus, who provides the perfect example for us in that. So there are basically two kinds of sermons on the Christian life. And the first type of sermon views the Christian life as kind of like a puzzle to be solved. And the message is something like this. Life is full of, uh, of hardship and frustration and obstacles. But if you do this one thing, if you understand this key aspect of things, then you can unlock the secret of living a victorious Christian life. And that secret could be a lot of different things. It could be prayer or tithing or fasting or regular devotions or Bible reading or the name it and claim it kind of uh, doctrine, but the gist of this kind of sermon is that once you put that key element into place in your life, then as, you're, as a follower of Christ, things are going to get simpler. They're going to get easier um, and more fulfilling in your life. Obstacles will fall away. Frustrations will fade. The theme of this kind of sermon is that, you're, that if your life as a Christian is hard or frustrating or less than fulfilling, then somewhere along the line, you must be doing something wrong. That's the first kind of sermon, and it's actually a pretty popular one. Apply this key, and then everything else in your life is going to go good. 
The second kind of sermon is different. This kind of sermon says that life isn't hard because you're doing it wrong. Life is hard because life has always been hard since the moment that Adam and Eve bit into the apple. Our lives on this earth are often painful and disappointing. We, we go through times when just making it through the day requires all of our willpower, all of our energy, and joy is hard to come by. Things often don't work the way they they should. People don't always keep their promises. Sometimes we don't get the promotion that we've worked really hard for. Sometimes the diagnosis that that we were praying, you know, would be different comes back, and it's not what we want to hear. Or maybe nothing's really necessarily bad. We can't pinpoint anything that's bad, but we, we just are vaguely dissatisfied and impatient and wanting something better in our lives. And that's life. That's, that's, that's reality. That's like, um, for all of you that, and I love this movie, um, that can think back to like The Princess Bride, um, and remember this quote from Wesley, or at this point in the movies, a.k.a. the Dread Pirate Roberts, where he says to Buttercup, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. That's one way of looking at it, but this, this thing of life isn't the really whole, it really isn't the whole story. In fact, it isn't even most of the story because there's much, much more when you throw in the perspective of eternity, what happens beyond this life, what happens once we leave this world. And in the meantime, our faith can help to sustain us in a world that ranges from very bad to not so great to just okay to pretty good. In the end, if we continue to trust God and listen to him and and follow him, we will find that it's all worth it. That's the hope and the promise. Every choice to continue to believe, every choice to persevere, every choice that we make that that sustains our steps to move closer to Christ and to be faithful to him will be rewarded. And someday in the not-so-distant future, we will look back on our lives, all the toil, all the suffering, all the, the, the pain, the heartache, the mixed emotions of joy and gladness and times of refreshment, will all testify that it was worth it. Every bit of it was worth it because of eternity. The good, the bad, the happy, and the sad, and all of that that falls in between. This is the second kind of sermon about the Christian life. And it's not as popular as the first one. The first one is a lot easier to market. The first one, we can mark it in just a few points that we can package together and say, if you take this magic pill, you know, and that life is going to go good. Start living, I, I have a hard, start living your best life, right? Um, and don't, I, I want to be clear on something here. Don't get me wrong. In the Christian life, um, God has promised to give us peace. Uh, there is a measure of joy and peace in following Christ. And Christianity does relieve us of many burdens, burdens of guilt, burdens of condemnation, burdens of, of, of performance mentality, that what I do is more important than who I am. All those things are lifted from us when we 
when we truly invest our lives in following Christ. But in all of that, we can't escape the fact that following Christ means following him on a journey to the cross. And so if you will turn with me to the book of John, chapter 12, verses 23 through 26, I, I want to read our, our key scripture today. And again, this is the less popular of these two types of sermons, but it's unavoidable when we read this verse this morning and we look at Jesus' recognition of his death and then his challenge for us to embrace his example. So uh, in verse 23, this is what it says. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So this is a, it's kind of hard to build a happy-go-lucky sermon off of this. It's hard to build the TED Talk with the Bible verse, you know, thing when we really dig into this passage of Scripture. So let's examine it for a minute. First off, the idea of losing to gain was not just a one-off theme for Jesus. It came in his teachings to his disciples and his followers over and over and over again. In fact, we read in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 37, where he says, where it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, save their life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone gain in exchange for their soul? So let me ask you something. Are you trying to hold on to your life? Are you trying to keep it? Are you, trying, are you trying to save your life? And you might say in response to that, well, of course I am. Of course I am. I'm not trying to die young. I, 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 want, I want to live. But Jesus says that if you are holding tightly onto all the things that the world thinks is life, then you will lose your life in the process. Why? Because you're unwilling to let go of those things in order to embrace all of what Christ has for you. We cannot do both. We cannot cling to this world and also cling to Christ. We must let go of something. We have to make a choice. And what Jesus is telling us is that when you extend your, your hand to grasp the life to come, then by necessity, you will also be releasing your grasp on this one. So if you do have, if you do reach out to Christ and you grasp not just the life that he has for you here, but the perspective of eternity, you're going to then have to let go of things in this world. 
So what does it mean to lose your life for Christ? What does it mean to take up our cross in order to follow him? Roman executioners would sometimes require a condemned man to shoulder his own cross and to carry it to the place of execution where he would be nailed and crucified. The cross was a symbol of death, not just death, but humiliation, the stripping of all that the person had. You know, throughout the years, throughout the centuries, the cross has, um, we as human beings have tried to doctor it up. We've tried to make it more palatable. We've tried to kind of wrap it in bacon so it's a little bit easier to swallow. Seriously. I mean, when you think about it, what's at the symbol and the center of our entire faith practice, if we call ourselves Christians and followers of Christ, is a symbol of execution. It's a symbol of death. You know, but, you know, we put some jewels on it or we make it a little bit ornate. We can put it on a chain and wrap it around our neck and that try to make it pretty, but it was brutal. And it wasn't just death, but it was humiliation. It was a stripping of everything. That didn't just happen to the one who created this movement, you know, and that that we follow, but it is the thing that then he has challenged us to walk within, that to be a follower of Christ is also to be identified in his death. To lay down our lives, to pick up our cross, and to follow him. So the cross, then, as a symbol of death, means that losing our life for Christ means choosing to deny ourselves. It means relinquishing things that you could legitimately claim and hold on to things in this world around us that we would maybe consider the essence of life. Um, it means, for example, yielding the, the, the right to do as you please with your time. All right, Benjamin Franklin wrote in his Poor Richard's Almanac, he wrote, do you love life? Then do not squander time, for that's the stuff that life is made of. And old Ben was right. Time is life, and so losing our life means giving up the right to set our own priorities and instead ordering our days and our years according to God's priorities. Being willing to relinquish our goals, accepting the loss of opportunities for personal advancement. Notice that what, I, what I'm not saying here is that we should have no priorities or that we should have no goals or no hopes for achievement. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying to you is that we shouldn't invest in a career uh, if that career becomes, trumps our, our, um, our priorities that we've set to follow Christ. What I'm saying is that if we hold on to these things with an open hand, then if we are called to give them up or if something does happen where we all of a sudden lose that which we think is so precious to us, it's not going to turn us completely over. If we're presented with a choice between following God and following our goals, that we will let the goals go. Because following Christ is more important. And that's, um, that's hard. 
I mean, just to digest that for a minute, that is very, very hard. Again, I can't help but think and reference the, the fact that uh, a good portion of us are going through financial peace right now. And so much of what we talk about in there, we say, this is counterintuitive to everything. Like, it's just super uncomfortable, right? Because our fabric and our patterns in that and our habits are all moving us and have gotten us conditioned towards one type of living. And yet, that is the gospel in its nature. It does rub against the grain. Because the world tells us that we deserve these things and we should hold tightly to it. And it's everything that we build towards, our own personal advancement. And now, what you're telling me is to follow Christ? I just give up all this? I shouldn't try for that promotion? I shouldn't try... Um, you know, to engage in secular pursuits. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that when we put those things before God, we have problems. We struggle in that because we cannot, in the, at the end of the day, we cannot serve two masters. One will give way to the other. Sometimes God endorses our passions. Sometimes God rewards our pursuits. But we need to be willing to accept the death of those dreams when God has other plans for our lives. That is hard stuff. Some of you have walked through that. Some of you are walking through that. This isn't what life, I, this is not what I thought life would look like. I had a different dream and God says, yes, but I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. I know it's not clear right now what I'm doing. I know it's super frustrating. I know you're angry. I know you're hurt. But trust me. I know what is best for you. It's part of what it means to lose your life for the sake of Christ and the gospel. So let me ask you something. How do you view your time? First off, do you, is it something that you view as, as yours? This is my time to do however I, you know, whatever I, I wish with. Let me give you a scenario that will sound very familiar. You've worked all week. You have a demanding job. Maybe you have children who need to be cared for, helped uh, with their, you need to help with their homework, or you got to get them to soccer practice. You need to keep them from, like, destroying each other or your home. Maybe you have older parents who need help and support. You've got church commitments. You've got a house and a yard to keep up with. You, things are, are broken, and you've got to fix them in your house. You've got bills to pay. But in all of that stuff, you manage to carve out a few hours of time on a Sunday. Sit down and watch a ball game, and you're pumped about that. So you go and you grab your bag of chips and your cold drink and beverage, and you sit down in your chair, and you flip the TV on, and the phone rings. And it's somebody, it's one of your friends or it's a family member and, and, and they're, they're dealing with something and they need to talk. They want to talk now. Not later, but now. You know what it feels like to say yes to that kind of request. It feels like something is dying <laughs> in you, right? My beautiful vision of how I was going to spend these two hours of time I've done everything else that I'm supposed to do with my week. I've been faithful to it. This is my time. And now it, it's, it's gone <laughs> because of this conversation. 
it's uncomfortable, it feels bad. And it's the kind of choice that really we are faced with every day. Live for ourselves, protect what is ours, hold on to the things that we want, or be willing to let them go. And that's what it means to lose our life for Christ and in doing so to save it. Dying to ourself means that we yield our right to do as we please with time. It also means that we yield our right to do with what we please with our possessions. Someone might object and say, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we work? Shouldn't we study? Shouldn't we strive to better ourselves and improve our circumstances? Of course we need to do that. Scripture is really clear about that too. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And at the same time, despite the fact that we've worked to earn what we have, we should not regard it as belonging to us, but instead belonging to God. Because we also read in 1 Peter 4, verse 9 and 10, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. So in this passage here, Peter goes beyond money. He goes beyond our goods. And he, and he, and he, and he dives into even our abilities and, and our resources. And he says we're not to, to look at that as, as, as if we are the owners of these things but instead that we are the stewards of them. And a steward means that somebody else actually owns that, and they've entrusted it to you. God has entrusted resources and abilities and, 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 and all of those things to us so that we would be good stewards, so that we would use those things as the advan- for the advancement of his kingdom and the accomplishment of his purposes in the world. And they're not, contrary to what we think, they're not given to us primarily just for our own pleasure and security or satisfaction. That's what we're told. That's what's marketed to us. It really is. I mean, think about it. Think of all the ads. I mean, it's about your pleasure, your security, your satisfaction. Those words are used all over. But God says something different. And so dying or losing our life means giving up our rights when it comes to our gifts, our abilities, our possessions, whatever we please. It means offering them back to the one, to the source, acknowledging that the source is not us, but the source is him, giving them back to God and allowing him to use them for his purposes. And I'm going to go one step further. Dying to self means relinquishing the right to do as we please in general. But instead, guiding your conduct according to what God, what, 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 is be, what best serves God's purposes. Let me say that again. Guiding your conduct according to what best serves God's purposes. So that means that even in the mundane, everyday choices, God is calling us to be willing to give up our rights, to let them die in order to serve those around us. That when we go about our day, all the little small ways, that we are, we are walking and we're, we're carrying this, 
belief in this concept in all that we do that God has a purpose for me and all the things that he has provided to sustain my life are not just for me, but I'm looking for ways to serve those around me. Think about it. What happens when you die? What happens when you die? You lose all your possessions. You lose all your rights. After the funeral, your family members, they gather together in the lawyer's office, and after the reading of the will, everything you own is divided amongst the heirs. Your bank accounts, your house, your car, your stamp collection, your comic book collection is going with me. Um, All those things will be given to somebody else or they'll be thrown away. Somebody else, all of that will be distributed. What about, what about my rights, though? What about my rights? All becomes moot. You have no rights because you're, you're dead. This is uplifting. This is a great message, Bill. Thank you for this. Here's the deal. Let's listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul said this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I won't even go into the fact that the word garbage is really actually not as harsh of a word as he probably used in this. When he was making the comparison to the readers in this scripture, he's, he wanted them to clearly know, add it all up, collect it all up, everything that I have owned, everything that I have earned, all the accolades, all the titles, because Paul was a, uh, he was a, he was a smart man. And he says, my intellect, my possessions, all of that stuff, it's all garbage compared to knowing Christ. What Paul tells us is that in order to follow Jesus, we need to live our lives as though we have already died. We've already died as if we have already departed from this life and therefore have lost everything. Let me clarify again what I'm saying and what I'm not. I am saying that, am I saying that we should have no possessions? Am I saying that we should have no rights? No. What I am saying is that following Christ becomes our priority no matter what we may have to give up to do so. We're called to follow Jesus' example, his example that he laid out for us. Was it he gave up everything every right that he had. He left his throne. He left his father. He left his place and his position. He was stripped of all of it. He was humiliated and he was beaten and he was tortured. And he died in order to save us. Death is not easy. Surrender is uncomfortable and it always will be but we do it in order to gain something far greater because on the other side of that death is resurrection, is transformation, is eternal life. 
it's hard right now because these, this kind of message is not popular. And I do think that what we're seeing a lot of in our culture right now when we watch people walking away from faith is because we've spent a lot of years making faith and what it looks like to follow Christ super palatable to all of us. We've kind of fallen into the idea that we need to market Christianity. Jesus doesn't need our marketing. He never, never, ever needed that, and he never will. He does not need our marketing. What he needs is he needs his followers to authentically reflect him in the way in which we live our lives. People are leaving the church because suddenly it's becoming harder in our country to be known as a follower of Jesus. So no longer is it just an American thing. I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. It's going to get even harder. Compared to the rest of the world, it's still easy. Super, super, super easy. But it's going to continue to become challenging to stand for Christ. And the gospel is uncomfortable. And at times it is offensive. And believe me, as a pastor, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to run for, I don't want to run towards conflict. I don't know, like it, bring it on, man, bring it on. I'm not looking to stir up stuff like that. But I can't avoid this. I can't avoid the truth that if we're going to follow Christ, that our journey leads to the cross. And what that means. And I'm going to break this. Sorry. Um, remember in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus said, for, what, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What Jesus is trying to tell us here is that more, the more we try to hold on to the things in this life that we think are precious to us, the more that we are we clinch to that, we're going to watch life slip through our fingers, the life that he desires to give us. But I want you to know something. Christ's words are, here are more than just a warning. There is a promise, too. If we go back to that original scripture found in John, the book of John, chapter 12, if we look again at, at verse 24, here's what it says. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. New life. New life. Do you remember when you were in elementary school and you did the little science project with like the, um, the pinto bean or the lima bean? You know, you put a moist paper towel, put it into a styrofoam cup, and then you stuck the bean in between the towel and the side of the cup, and you put it like on your window seal. And over the course of several days, you start to see roots process, uh, you know, and, and, and sprouting come from the bean in that. And, and that's the miracle of science. It's super awesome. But what also happens in that process is that the bean is destroyed. It's destroyed. Over time, as the plant continues to grow, it is consumed. 
It's the same with any kind of seed, like wheat or corn, placed into the ground under the right conditions, cared for well. It's going to reproduce. But if you were to dig back into that soil again to look for that seed, are you going to find it? No. It's gone. It's been consumed. It's died in order to be transformed into something new. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that your life can be like that grain of wheat or that kernel of corn, that you can have a positive influence in the world. You can invest yourself in ways that will long outlast this life on earth. You can produce new life, many, many seeds, but there's just one condition. You must die. You have to give up your claim on your own life, your time, your possessions, your plans, your rights. The question is, are we willing to do that? Are you willing to, for God to use your life in ways that you could have never imagined? Because he will. He can and he will. But in order for him to do that, we've got to relinquish ownership over our lives and turn Turn our lives over to him to use as he sees fit. And that's not easy. It's uncomfortable. It feels like losing. But in reality, it's just the opposite. It's not losing everything. It's gaining Christ. It's gaining Christ who is worth more than everything in this world put together. It's gaining eternal life. So my prayer for you this morning is, will you make that decision today? And not just today, but every day. Because we're called to daily make the choice to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. I wish it was just something that we could muster up the energy to do one time and then we're covered but it doesn't work like that. We're called to wake up each new day that God has gifted us with breath in our own body and to say, this life is not mine, it's yours, God. So I want to be used by you. Yeah, I've got plans for today. I've got things that I I want and desire and things I think I need that I don't really need. I lay it all at your feet. Doesn't mean I'm going to quit my job. It doesn't mean that I'm going to sell all my possessions. But God, I put those things at your feet. I hold not tightly to them because they're mine. But I recognize that they belong to you and I give them back to you and ask that you use them for your purposes. In giving his life, Christ purchased eternal life for us. And like a seed falling to the ground, and dying, his death resulted in millions of souls being saved. But you know what's great is that God did not just permit him to die and for that to be the final word. He resurrected him and he exalted him to the highest place. So when we lay down our lives for Christ, when we make that decision, God will also lift you up
in order to gain all that Christ has for you. So will you choose him today? That's the question. So let's pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for your love. And I ask that we would just pause in these moments. God, I know um, a lot of this is, is, is challenging. It's difficult because it rubs against the grain of our everyday lives and decisions that, that tell us that we're about, we should be about building our kingdom. We don't even know it that we've been swept away into that mindset. But if we were to pause and we were to think about the way we spend our time, our energy, some of the thoughts that we have, the entitlement that we cling to, it boils down to this idea of building what is mine instead of building what is yours. God, you have given us everything that we have. And your love for us was so great that you sent what was most precious to you, your very son, to be stripped of everything that he had so that we might have life, so there could be restoration between the Father and his creation, his children. God, you gave up your life and you made it really clear that for us to walk and step into the fullness of what you have for us, which is not about this life, but the life to come, that we're going to have to let go of something. And I don't know what that is for each person in this room. It's different. It's different. But I can tell you, I'm sure there is something for each one of us to wrestle with. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot cling to this world and then hope to then receive all that you have for us. We've got to let go. So God, I pray that you would give us that courage to take that step, to make that decision just today, right now in here, to choose you, to say, God, I do lay down my life for you. I do lay down my wishes. I do lay down my dreams. I do trust that you have a better chapter and a better story to tell than the one that I would write on my own. Because when I put pen to paper, I often step back and go, how did I mess that up? And how do I undo it? And a lot of us are left really frustrated and very discouraged. But man, God, when we relinquish our control and we give it to you and we believe against what we see on the outside and what we see in the moment and we extend our faith believing that you are creating new in us, whether I see it right now or not, I'm going to cling to it. I'm going to hold on to it. Like Kim said earlier, that my healing begins at the point where I die. It seems so counterintuitive. But we lose in order to gain. So help us today, God, to relinquish that and to put our lives in your hands. And then to to get excited and energized 
for what is to come. Thank you for each person here. Thank you, God, for the ability to be able to be in your presence, to hear from your word. And Lord, may not may it not just be words, but something that really does, like that seed, take root in our hearts and that it would produce and reproduce fruit in the way in which we go out from this place and actually live out ministry. Be the church. We love you and we thank you today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.